nostalgia, memories, growing up in Central Florida in the 1990s. What a bunch of sappy crap. It's the Sappy Crap Podcast. Starring Steve Bauman and Jarman Day. Welcome to the Sappy Crap Podcast, where the names are changed, but the stories are real. I'm Jarman. I'm Steve. That's right. The stories are real. At least how our dusty brains have kept them after all this time. At this point, they're just gathering dust on the bookshelves of our lives. Ooh, nice tie-in. And we're here to tell stories that only two longtime best friends can. And what are we talking about this week, Steve? Buckle up, Buttercup. We're talking about books. (laughs) Books. Books. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Books of our youth, the books of today, the books that shaped us and formed the way we think about the world around us. Yeah, and I had and to not men- just Playboys. Oh, not just Playboys. Yeah, I have to mention because Steve and I joked about this before the episode that for some reason back in our just regular play on nerds podcast days, uh, our books episode that we did at one point was so highly listened to for and, a long time. For was some, our most listened to episode, it made no sense until we did an episode called Reality Kings, which we were talking about the two reality show stars Ed TV and The Truman Show. And that's quickly surpassed in views because people kept watching it thinking it was porn because apparently it's a very popular porn website. People were disappointed it wasn't porn. <laughs> it was not porn. They listened to a few minutes and be like, oh, this isn't porn. Oh. <laughs> but we're talking about books today. So uh, books. it's like, you know, porn on pages. That's right. <laughs> well, for a long time, I had a love-hate relationship with books. Love-hate? How come? I never wanted to read outside of class. Hmm. And I remember for a while, my dad was actually worried about me because I would read for school, but I wouldn't read anything else. Well, they give us a lot to read back in the day. You know, it kind of tires you out. Uh, But then finally, sometime in the second to third grade realm, I got hooked onto Goosebumps by R.L. Stein. That was on my top of the list to talk about as well. And read through a ton of them, just a ton of them. Um, I specifically like the ones that took place at camps. Mm. Uh, welcome to Camp Nightmare and Camp Jelly Jam, Ghost Camp, or a couple others. Um, and they, I really got into them and read them pretty heavily for a couple of years to the point where by the time I was 10 or 11, I was just going through them like tissues. <laughs> like I would complete a Goosebumps book in six or seven days and I was rapidly going through the back catalog. And getting to a point where where I didn't have anything new to read. Oh, yeah. It's impressive. Uh, and then finally, I found something else. But what was the first books that you remember, like, getting you into reading or making you want to read? I, I was trying to think back of that earlier today, and I was just like, this episode, and as I think Goosebumps was early on. But the thing is, if you ask me now to recall an individual story, I don't. I can't recall any of them. Um but I did read them. And then something along the lines of there was a book I read a lot, which was uh, my teacher is an alien. I think it was called. Okay. And that kind of introduced me to some of the kind of sci-fi elements of things. Um, I didn't read comic books or anything like that, but yeah, goosebumps really got me into it. And then something that my stepdad introduced me to, this would be by the time I was eight years old. So up until then, apparently I was not reading very much um, was the myth series by Robert Asprin. And it's not very popular these days. Not it doesn't have a cult following anymore or anything like that. But it was popular enough where they had made 
tons of books in the series, uh, this Robert Aspern guy. And if you look it up now, it's like they always incorporate the word myth into the title. So it's either the mything link or um, mything persons or um, another fine myth is one of them. Excuse me, myth. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, myth. It's basically all narrated by Mike Tyson. <laughs> uh, but, no, it's just, but they're actually they're really cute books. Of this kid who gets sucked into this fantasy world and his his companion is this goblin creature who's like more like an orc almost. Okay. Or, and they like they're friends and they go travel around these different realms and they they go on adventures and stuff and they're but they're really funny. It's like it's a com- they're very comedic more than most any fantasy books I've ever read. But they're appropriate for like preteen teenage years, um, that kind of thing. And so I got really hooked on those. So that's kind of like my earliest thing. But before I go on to the next one, what do you remember going on to after Goosebumps? Um, the next book I moved on to was something that my brother recommended to me, and he actually recalled it about my age, my aunt recommending it to him. Mm. And that was Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, who before I talk any more about it, he's a right wing nut job. Oh, yeah. With some really messed up views. I'm happy to say that none of that really spills over into his right into his reading and it doesn't make it any less worth it. Yeah, like there's none of those views that seem books. to after reading some myself, it doesn't seem to spill over into that, which is nice. Just do yourself a favor and just steal them. Ah, uh, yeah. There you Stick go. Stick it to him that way if you disagree. Or library. There you go. Yeah, or library where they've already been paid for ten times over by like liberal tax dollars <laughs> right that's another great way to stick <laughs> it to orson scott card liberal tax dollars uh, <laughs> i love it <laughs> so read him just read him for free so you don't patronize him because he's a little bit crazy but ender's game uh was a really groundbreaking book and the first time that i really felt attached to a character mm. like really attached to a character and that's sort of the downside that the goosebumps books i'd read up to that point is that they were episodic right you had one book with a set of characters, and unless there was a sequel book, which there were a few, you never saw those characters again. That's true. I guess that's why I like the myth series, because you follow this one boy who's kind of like around my age at the time going through these adventures. And so you feel like you connect with him and you're him in that story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I eventually read through the original Ender series, which is four books. Ender's Game. Oh, God. Ender's Shadow. Uh, Z- uh, Zeno. God damn. I would have to look it up. It's been a long time since I've read them, but there's four of them. And last one's children of the mind. Uh, and then later on a companion series came out, which took a rather relatively minor character from Ender's game named bean and followed his story. And then there were three books after that oh, that okay. followed an entirely different trajectory and told an entirely different story. And I liked those on a completely different level. And that's why his series was kind of groundbreaking because you get to meet this character Bean in the story of Ender's game. And then all of a sudden you have a whole new book series following his perspective from those same events and then going forward and seeing how he branches out. And that really isn't done or hasn't been done much in other series where it's like kind of retell the same story from a different perspective. Right. It's a parallel series. And that's something you don't get to say. Right. Often. And that's what Steve got me into because I had never read the Ender's Game series at all. And for some reason, I only picked up Ender's Shadow and I read Ender's Shadow, loved it. I just never read any more of the whole series. Um, but you oh, got man. me you got me to read that one. So, so yeah, worth it. It was good. What was your what was your next step up? Well, my next step up is what I have to thank my entire middle school, high school reading experience from that wasn't school reading was from your dad. Because That's I told right. the story before we I don't we were in Barnes and Noble or some Walton Books someplace in a mall I think we were, the Oviedo Marketplace is that where it was I think we saw a movie we probably saw The Edge 
that night at the Vita Market. Sounds, that actually sounds right, <laughs> and the timing would be about right. Fire from ice, Bob. Can you think? Fire from ice. <laughs> But anyways, <laughs> we go in the bookstore and I'm like, I don't know what to read next. Like, I don't know what to do. And your dad was just like, eh, how about these shithead? <laughs> he points me over towards the Tolkien books. He didn't say shithead at the time, but he said that a lot, which I love. He may have. Um, realistically. And so I go over to these Tolkien books. Your dad recommends. And he I was supposed to start with The Hobbit. But for some reason, I didn't. I started with Lord of the Rings. So I jumped right into The Fellowship of the Rings. Um, and. I was hooked. Um, like my entire middle school experience was all Tolkien. Um, I read everything. I read that. I read. I read The Hobbit after after Red Lord of the Rings. I read The Hobbit. Then I got the Silmarillion, which was like reading the Bible as a child, uh-huh. um, and I loved it. Ate it up. And then I got like the Encyclopedia of Tolkien. And I still remember to this day the feeling of laying on my floor in my room alone late at night. And just looking through the lore of all these different people in this encyclopedia and then getting this idea in my head that this really happened. This was the prehistory of Earth and we just don't know it, but this was really happening. This is a, a history book like this. This is real. <laughs> and like, I believed that as a middle schooler that no, no, no. People think this is a story, but Tolkien was telling a real thing, which later on, I find out that he actually went and got a lot of these stories and these archetypes from these books that no one could translate um, in the Oxford library because he was a, an Ox- a professor at Oxford for languages. Um, and he was translating a lot of these old books that no one knew how to speak these languages anymore from Norse mythology and other mythologies and taking these stories from those books um, and transforming them into this world of Middle Earth. And so I was like, maybe some of these things were kind of true. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, maybe it's <laughs> fascinating. But yes, yeah, Steve's dad got me into fantasy books at that point. And because myth myth series kind of did that, but then this really cemented it and it only grew from there. So what would be your next step? Did you read any of the Lord of the Rings books, by the way? I did, but much later. I I did not get into them with you because it was you and our buddy Owen and Gary and you guys were reading them simultaneously. Oh, okay. And I remember you would like have check ins there at lunch or, or maybe the time before school. Uh, we'd hang out sort of in the courtyard of the cafeteria and he'd be like, oh, did you get to this part yet? No, don't say anything, dude. All right, we've got to get there by this weekend so we can talk about it. No like, spoilers from this book from the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I didn't read it until years later. Oh, I have to mention, by the way, that now as an adult, I collect all Tolkien books I find. I go to any old bookstore and I look for old Tolkien books of any kind because there's a Lost Tales. There's his little short stories. There's everything. So when I was in Colorado for my sister's wedding a few months ago, I was in a bookstore there and they had um, one of his uh, short stories. I think it was Sir Gawain and the Green Knight that he wrote a, a short story version of himself. I buy me something else. But I got the book because I hadn't seen that version before. I look it up online. I got it for like two dollars. It's worth $90. The book I yeah, got. Yeah, big money. And then last week I was in a bookstore here in Orlando. And I found um, a copy of the the Return of the King, which I'd never seen before. This weird cover, and it hmm. was by Ace Publishing. I try to look inside. There's no publishing date. There's no copyright. I'm like, what the hell is this? I look it up online uh, after I buy it for ten dollars. By the way, it's worth two hundred dollars. <laughs> wow! <laughs> because it was the first ever paperback publishing of uh, the Return of the King in the United States. And on top of that, it was illegally published. They found a loophole in the publishing rights to publish it under this ACE publishing label, um, which was not legal. And none of the proceeds were going to go to the Tolkien estate. 
So it quickly was uh, clamped down upon and gotten rid of and outlawed because it was illegal. But these these out, these additions are out there. Um, and so I now own the Return of the King for ten dollars worth two hundred dollars. If you have the full set, it's worth a thousand dollars. So I was like, holy nice. crap, I'm going to keep searching out these Tolkien editions that nobody knows what they have their hands on. But that's thanks to your dad. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having these things this day. Very nice. So what's your next step up, Steve? Uh, for me, and this is something that sort of filled my formative years in late middle school to early high school. And he actually just passed away not long ago. Gary Paulson, uh, who wrote books like Hatchet, The River, Brian's Winter, oh, Brian's My Winter, Life in Dog yeah. Years, The Car, The Island, Mr. Tuckett. Tuckett's Ride, The Rifle, um, a lot of either sort of realistic survival or uh, American history based, very Americana, very coming of age kind of stories. I was going to say, weren't a lot of them coming of age kind of things? A lot of them. Not yeah. all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and and he just, he told really good connecting stories that, you know, any middle school boy could connect with. I remember those. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, the car and the rifle are probably two of my, my absolute favorites. Gotcha. I remember that name yeah. too, Robert Paulson, because then also use that in fight. Club. Gary, Gary Paulson, Robert <laughs> oh, Paulson. Oh, Gary Paulson. Fight Club, okay. <laughs> uh, which if you look it up, you'll accidentally get them mistaken in Google. Ah, um, gotcha. Uh, and then also uh, Mike, Michael Crichton. I've enjoyed a, a fair chunk of his. I've read Jurassic Park. I've read Lost World. I really enjoyed Congo. Nice. Highly recommend Congo. Michael Creighton is an incredible technical writer. Because he's a doctor, like not, isn't he? Maybe. He's a medical doctor, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but not so not only do you get this great story, but, you know, when you're reading Congo, you get a snapshot into like late 70s, early 80s satellite technologies. <laughs> nice. And there's entire chapters of Jurassic Park dedicated to how the computer system counted the dinosaurs. Oh, I and love like that it. kind of stuff. Um, just an incredible technical writer. That's great. I think because after um, I did Tolkien, I needed to find some other thing to rip my teeth into for fantasy stuff. And I just went to the bookstore and found a series I saw had multiple editions or multiple uh, sequels. And mm -hmm. that was Rune Lords. I randomly fell into this and no one I have met has read this book, these book series. Uh, you told me about them. And I've never read them or actually seen. Them. Yeah. And it's crazy because like they had a lot of books. So apparently people were reading them, but people I know who read a lot of fancy books, never read these ones. Um, but the premise is so great. They're by Robert, uh, sorry, David Farland. And they're so primed for any kind of movie adaptation or a series adaptation. Basically the premise is that in this fantasy world, they figured out how to take someone's um, ability and add it to your own, but that person still lives. So basically, if, if you want to have better eyesight, you have to have someone agree to do this for you, and you use these special runes to basically write a rune on them and write a rune on yourself, and you add their eyesight power to your own. So now you have double the the eyesight of they used to have, but they're blind now. Um, okay. the, the same goes for strength. So the idea was these lords, these rune lords, would basically tell these peasants they'd be like hey i see you're really strong if you give me your strength you'll be feeble but then i'll pay to have people take care of you 24 7 i'll pay for your family to live healthily for the rest of their lives but i get to keep your strength and then so people will make these agreements and so basically these rune lords would have manners full of people that were being taken care of by them um, because if that person dies they lose that power 
Right. So, so you have these rune lords who have like the, the strength of 200 men, but they have to have the resources and power to take care of these people because if they if they die, they lose that power. But they also are now the strength of 200 men. And so the big thing was there's the big villain of the books was this person who had taken the beauty of 200 people, women and men. So he was so beautiful that looking upon him, you would just completely do anything he asked because you were just so overwhelmed by the beauty that he had. And so the the trouble was figuring out how to defeat this person who anyone would fall victim to. And this, it was such a fascinating idea, this idea of just these runes that would, you know, add to your power to your own and speed and uh, strength and vision and hearing and all these different things people would be good at. Um, so yeah, I read like every single book in that series. And then finally, I think the guy's son started writing books just like that happens a lot with writer series. Uh, mm-hmm. They they get too old, they retire, somebody takes over and this aren't as good. And I stopped reading, but they're probably still going on to this day. <laughs> Uh, and then after that high school, most of my reading was required. Honestly, there was always mm. a book to read for some class. Yeah. It got harder in high school because it was more time consuming. Uh, and then same thing in college college. I was always reading a book for some class or reading a lot of plays and scripts. And mm. so I very rarely found myself reading for fun. And so it wasn't until after I graduated and we moved to New York that I really started reading again. Oh, okay. And those were my train books because yes. there was a while, especially when I was working retail, where I had a 40-minute commute each way, and then I had two 15 minutes breaks at work. So on average, I was, you know, I was reading almost two hours a day. That's awesome. Uh, and so I flew through books, once again, just like tissues. <laughs> uh, I went through some of Stephen King's bigger stuff. I've read It and The Stand and Carrie and Salem's Lot. Nice. Um, I read some more sort of hardcore sci-fi books, the forever war by Joel, uh, Joe Haldeman, which is a great book. Uh, if you love starship troopers, you're going to love forever. War. I've heard about that. Yeah. Starship troopers. Another one, uh, by Heinlein, just a great book. I got to read during my, my train books phase. Uh, and then I got to read some bigger series too, including, uh, the, here we go. Uh, I read all of Game of Thrones on the train. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, I read all of Harry Potter on the train. <laughs> I read all of Aragon on the train. Oh, my God. You had so much reading in that time. I had no Seriously, idea. Two hours a day. And when I went to full time, I was dedicated reading 10 hours a week. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Like I was going through books like crazy. And <clears throat> at that time, I had my iPhone 4. Mm-hmm. And I can legitimately say to this day, I read more books on that iPhone four than actual paper books. Wow. In my life. <laughs> Guarantee it. Oh yeah. Sounds like it. Um, so yeah, all of Aragon, which I highly recommend. I, I really enjoy young adult stuff because the themes, if they're done right, are sort of everlasting and comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And comfortable. And they're not heavy reads. I don't have to think too much about it. <laughs> it's entertainment read. Uh, so highly recommend Aragon, uh, Harry Potter. One sort of common theme I have in a lot of, the books I really enjoy are like clearly defined magic mm. systems, not mysterious magic, but like clearly defined rule driven magic. That's why I think you'd write Rune Lords because it was very clearly defined. Yeah. Um, what what are some of the series you've read? Uh, well, yeah, that, I mean, you kind of similar trajectory to me. Like once high school came around, you're right. It became harder because our reading assignments and our homework was just more intense. And when we came home, 
I think you and I, because we were there together, we want to play video games. We didn't want to read more. You know, we wanted to do, oh, read anything. Yeah, we want to do other things. And so it took me a while. Then when I got to college, I did have a little more free time, even though I probably shouldn't have. I should have focused more on my studies and writing papers. So yeah. I that's that's when I read Harry Potter uh, in college. Um, it was, I think, not all out yet. I think the final book came out when I was finishing college, maybe. Um, I don't remember, uh, but I, I, I think almost all the books were out by the time I got to college. Um, and then I started wheel of time, which I don't think I'll ever finish in my life because I like the ideas kind of, uh, but it just was, I don't know. Something about his writing just wasn't interesting or mysterious or, uh, intriguing to me. It just, and people always comment that, oh, the books are so long that he must be commenting on the draperies and the, and the, the grains of the, uh, the wood and the tables and stuff, Robert Jordan. But no, it, he wasn't actually that boring of a writer in that regard, but just something about the writing. Just, I didn't care about the characters as much, which is strange because Tolkien was just writing a history for his language, basically his elvish language, but yet his characters <laughs> were very interesting and I wanted to know more about his characters. Um, but no, Wheel of Time, I I'm, I was in the fourth book, just gave up, and they're all the size of the Bible. They're like 900 pages each. Yeah, they are. Um, and then around that time, too, uh, I think, and also starting when I left college, I started the Dan Brown books. Uh, so that's Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons. Uh, I read some of those, too. Yeah, and they're they're very entertaining. They're very um, beach reads, I think is the term for it, where it's just they're like- good airplane books. Yeah, they're just super fun and easy, and, and but but also I, I really enjoy the mythology of religion and the, uh, the, the kind of supernatural aspects or just mythological aspects of those books. So- as compared to other beach reads I wouldn't care about, I did like those because they were an interesting topic. The movies were terrible. Um, <laughs> and then I kind of got into biographies after that a little bit. I guess as I was trying to find myself after college, I started reading a lot of biographies and um, I still like those, but uh, we'll get into why I don't read those now. So what happened after your your post uh, subway rides reading situation? I mean, I don't know. I've read a few books since, but honestly, now that I'm not, uh, you know, on the subway, I did get into audiobooks for a while. While I was commuting for work, but the last two years, I'm not even commuting for work. You're staying from home, yeah, anymore. Uh, so I'm not even getting to do that. Um, since then, The Strain, Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan, mm. vampire, infectious disease kind of book. Uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Another one, just great, very well written. Nice. Uh, and then one book, the only book I can genuinely say I've read that's uh, nonfiction that I recommend to a lot of people is Guns, Germs, and Steel. Oh, I've heard of by that. By Jared Diamond. It's just, it, it basically just explains, so the whole first paragraph, like the, the first paragraph, the first chapter is basically Jared Diamond, who's like a historian anthropologist who spent time with all these tribes all over the world, oh. learning background and stuff, uh, explaining that basically white people ended up ahead. This book is to explain why this is not a racist manifesto. Right. Like that's literally the first chapter is him being like, this is not just some crazy race theory thing. This is the literal historical reasons. It's not saying they deserve to be ahead. No, no, no. This is saying why they're ahead and why. (laughs) Yeah. And most of it burns, boils down to uh, uh, guns, germs, and steel. Oh, wow. That makes total sense. Yep. Um, And a lot of that comes down to, and here's an example from the book, is uh, domesticatable animals. Mm -hmm. 
Europe had way more domesticatable animals than any other continent by a huge margin. Oh. Where it was Africa, there's very few domesticatable animals. Um, North America, same. South America, it was like alpacas and guinea pigs, and that was it. <laughs> um, so because of this, humans were exposed. Once they started farming and cultivating these animals, they were exposed to them more. And the diseases these animals had found a way to come over and infect humans. Mm. Things like bird flu and that kind of stuff and swine flu um, came over and infect these humans. And so these, these white Europeans developed antibodies for these terrible diseases. Oh, gosh. Because they had all these animals and because they had domesticated all these animals. And then when they started spanning out, they took these diseases with them to places that didn't have any domesticated animals <laughs> uh-huh. or many. De- and so they just these germs just wiped out entire populations like the Native Americans, the, the smallpox blankets and all that kind of thing. But it was because of their proximity to large domesticatable mammals. That they were that around Europeans all the time ended up getting a leg up. That makes total sense. Right. But once again, not a racist manifesto. He, yeah. He spends an entire chapter just saying this is not what this is. This is a legitimate historical explanation as to why white people ended up ahead. It's not right. Right. It's not wrong. It's just what happened. We're all the same species. We all deserve right. to be on top. But for some reason, these people like, got there. And this is why. <laughs> yeah. The way that animals broke down. And so then because Europeans had domesticatable animals, they were able to grow more crops. Right. Because they were able to till more soil. And because of that, then they were able to put more um, effort into uh, like research because they had enough food to feed people that they had excess. Oh, yeah. Because of that, technologically, they ended up ahead. I learned that in college that that the basic thing of of evolution of man is when we have free time, Um, when you're free to not be constantly foraging or hunting for food, you're able to finally research methods of of. uh, development and technology because you don't have time for that it's just this it's the same with our society right now that's why they say money doesn't buy happiness but yeah it kind of does because if you have some kind of money and comfortability you can afford to do other things and actually explore yeah, you your life time yes free time to explore your life develop other things in your life read books uh, for god's sakes yeah. but once again <laughs> this is because of their proximity and the amount of domesticatable mammals they had yeah and that's my thing now where i'm at in my life with um with books is that my now career um, is voiceover and mainly with audiobooks. And so if I'm ever reading right now, fortunately or unfortunately, it's romance novels. And that's not what I would be choosing to read in my free time. But I have to prep these books before I narrate them as a narrator. That's what I do. And so I have to read romance novels constantly. And so I now know all the tropes. I know all the lingo. I know all the things that you can call a <laughs> vagina or a penis. Um, but I have to read the books and map out the characters, uh, write down what they're going to sound like. Um, and then I do reference recordings of all the different act- the characters in the book. Um, but I'm also having to read these books. And so I don't have time anymore unfortunately until i get maybe huge rates where i'm doing so few books uh, a month where i can afford to just do like two a month and then have lots of free time to read other books um but when i'm down not recording in my booth or editing i'm reading the next book i'm going to be prepping for the next recording so basically my life is spent reading how people seduce other people and how they have sex and that's basically what been doing for the past several years now so i don't have time to read books anymore it really sucks i listen to podcasts but it's usually why i'm like you know 
you know, I, I like podcasts. And so I could replace my podcast with audiobooks and listen to other books, but I, I'd miss my podcast. So while I'm doing dishes or laundry or something, I listen to podcasts, but I, yeah, I can't change it out. I don't know. It's hard. And you have kids. So, I mean, finding time to read books, I imagine is very difficult. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, that being said, we are getting into a fun point with Joyce where she's finally getting able to really read stuff. Oh, how old is she now? Uh, five. Nice. Dangerous is the name of the age. Of course. Um, but she's at the point now where we're in the car and she's reading signs and stuff we're passing by. Oh. Uh, so Anna just read Coraline with her, which she did well with. Nice. Uh, so we're starting to explore some of those, those first chapter book kind of things. And right. of course, I will do my utmost to pass on my love for sci-fi and fantasy to her. Oh, of course you will. Yes. But she's already into it. She loves that kind of stuff. Uh, during Halloween, she watched Jaws with me. Oh, I was totally into it. Wasn't too scared. Uh, no, but not say Anna and I have conditioned her, but Anna and I draw a very clear line of what is and is not real. That is good. That's good. And like we reinforce it. Is this real? No, it's not real. Yep. This is all a movie. None of this is real. So sharks don't attack people. Sharks do attack people, but that is not what we are watching in this film right now. This is not how it happens. <laughs> this is not how it happens. That shark is not real. That's a big puppet. Yeah. Uh, some parents may argue that takes the mystique out of it, but that's your job as parents. Yeah. <laughs> like, and later on, they'll enjoy horror movies, whether you said that or not. Yeah. So it's fine. Right. Uh, but like, she's very clear that ghosts aren't real and goblins aren't real and orcs aren't real. Okay. Wait a minute. Harry wait Potter a minute. And that kind of stuff. Ghosts are real. And so oh are orcs. God. Orcs existed okay. long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is what I'm to understand that those were history books. <laughs> That's right. They were history books. Um, but then at the same time, we're also in that balancing act of like, she still thinks the tooth fairy is real. Yeah. Uh, and she still thinks Santa's real. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in that, that rough in between spot right now. Yeah, it's weird. Like I, I, I definitely want to explore that. If hopefully if I have kids, I wanted to have the imagination of Santa being real, but having that time the first time they asked me is this really true and i might i, might, I don't know what i'm gonna say at that point i'm just be like no <laughs> i guess not <laughs> but she hasn't asked that of you yet not yet hmm. but at the same time i can i can confidently say yes yeah, santa claus is based off a real guy yeah that's true he's a patron saint to children and every year we celebrate him and the gift giving and we remember each other and then there are people that dress up like him who are his helpers and help to spread, you know. So there are those aspects where you don't have to lie. And I think I learned from you on an episode of A Play on Nerds. I think our last Christmas episode, folks, if you want to check it out on our website, where you said St. Nick actually helped, uh, was one of the people at the the deciding where the, the what yeah, the council of uh, Nicaea, Nicaea. Yeah, where they're deciding what chapters of the Bible would be included in the actual Bible. So that's pretty important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Santa Claus came from Santa Nicholas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I plan to pass on my love of, of sci-fi and fantasy to her via the books that we expose her to, certainly. Absolutely. And I, I think uh, we've definitely explored all the books from our childhood forward that we've ex we've actually uh, read. And I would say the, the original book that I would share with my family the most, and I gave it to as a present to my mom, I gave an audiobook version of it to her, was uh, Always Forever, My Baby You'll Be. I think it's called. Okay. Um, never heard of it. Never heard of this book. It's basically a, a picture book 
that uh, my mom would read to me when I was a kid. And it goes through this mom telling this her baby, this new boy that she has, that always forever my mommy, uh, my baby you'll be. And then by the end of the book, he's holding her in his arms because she's an old lady. And he's saying always forever my mommy you'll be. And it's just this adorable movement from time. Um, and it's pretty popular. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that'll be the book that oh, was. I see it now. Yeah, that started my childhood book reading was her probably reading that book Aww. to me. It's it's a really sweet, cute book. But uh, it is, for me, it was always the Berenstein Bears Christmas. That was a Berenstein or Berenstain? Berenstain <laughs> Bears Christmas, uh, which my dad used to read to me, and I loved it because I knew all the rhymes. Oh, that's cute. And so my dad says that like I asked for that book nonstop for like six months. Nice. So that would be our, our original books right there. <laughs> oh yeah, first books. I like the sci-fi elements of talking bears. <laughs> I like the sci-fi elements of a man holding his mother in his arms when she's in her 90s, because that's kind of not going to happen. <laughs> sci-fi. Well, anyways, folks, that's books. Reality Kings. <laughs> what reality Kings. <laughs> Hashtag Reality Kings. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh yeah but books uh people comment let us know what books that you guys uh, really identify with uh, that were your like uh, go-to's growing up and what you've most identified with even as adults uh let us know what books are important to you oh final question final question question close out what's sure. the most overrated book you've read overrated like you, like you read it and went what the hell do people see in this thing um i would say wheel of time but also kind of dune um just because okay. uh dune was i don't think it's badly written or anything i think it's great introduced a great world but i read dune the first book and it this is a guy at the, at the time who was reading fantasy novels voraciously i was reading so many fantasy novels and i read dune and i was like no nah, i don't want to read the next one i'm fine but i just i didn't continue with it so it wasn't bad it was just like i think it's just way overblown how good that is and i haven't seen the new movie yet it's out it's okay. been out um but yeah, doing the book, I like the I like the David Lynch series. Uh, back in the day, or the yeah, was it a series the movie the movie yeah just yeah. the movie. I'm it, gonna say a wrinkle in time. Oh, uh, well, people still swear by that book, and for a lot of people, that was like that is their gateway into fantasy. Yeah, uh, for me, I just I remember very much disliking it. Well, the movie got panned, so I know that much. Well, yes, <laughs> <laughs> Oprah, I think was in it. I don't know. Oprah and Mindy Calling and a bunch of others for such an all-star cat. I mean, a book to a movie. How good could it be? Right. It's hard. Except it's hard. For, unless you're Peter Jackson, then it's it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Sappy Crap Podcast. Sorry, join us next time when we're going to talk about something so deep and hard hitting that we don't even know what it is yet. It's true. Thanks for joining us for this delightful stumble down memory lane. And don't forget the good old days. We're not always that good. This podcast was brought to you by A Play on Nerds.